You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. Welcome to the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin, he's Andy, and we are here with a very special guest, perhaps the most special we have had on our show. We are joined by old friend's own Michael Blowen. Gentlemen, we are a week out from the Kentucky Derby and so excited. We got a lot of Derby horses here at Old Friends and a lot of lots of stuff to talk about. How are we? I'm freezing. <laughs> I'm actually really, really cold. But uh, it's a California blood, Andy. It is, it really is. You know, uh, when we started this podcast, I was like, okay, so I don't know how many episodes we're actually gonna get through where we can actually say that we're at our 20th episode, but today's our 20th, and I figured this would be the perfect one to, to have Michael on. So that's why we, we did it this yeah. week. It's great to have you here. Yeah, this is the first podcast that we've actually done like all together in person because we've just mainly been doing the, um, the Zoom calls, <laughs> the over the phone, the YouTube videos type of stuff. So it's really cool to finally kind of be back in person, be vaccinated, and be able to see people. So that's super exciting. So now that you get your, now that everybody knows your backstory on it, but before we get into that, you know, it's been a year since COVID. It's been a year since all that. How exciting is it to actually have people come back onto the farm? It's fabulous. I mean, just this morning, this woman came back that had, we have, I haven't seen in a couple of years and she loved Clever Alamon who was here for a long, 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 long time and she bought flowers for him and then Mandy came and Mandy wrote a really good article on the Triple Crown Jockeys for Equestrian Life and you're here with Caitlin and you know, look, it's not even noontime yet. It's fabulous. <laughs> it's really great. I mean, we really did miss the people and you know, economically it was tough because you know, financially it was tough because the uh, the visitors are the fuel that keeps us going. And when we have to close the whole place up and have no visitors, it was really, really, really tough. But I uh, I should tell this one story that most people don't know, but it's a funny story. Well, I shouldn't presume it's a funny story. I should let people decide because they think it's a funny story. It's an unusual story, let's say. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, in October... I'd done three tours that day, and all I wanted to do was, it was 4.30, and I was really tired, and I just wanted to get my racing form and a beer and sit in my chair and look at Silver Charm and handicap the next day's races and just kind of take a deep breath, right? So just when I'm ready to settle in, this car comes up the hill with a man or woman, that really, you know, and we stop, and I go, can I help you? And they said, well, we were at the hotel, and we heard this is a cool place, and they said we should come over here and see it. And I said, well, I said, uh, we're, we're, we're closed, uh, can you come back tomorrow? And they said, no, we're from Fargo, North Dakota. And we're just here until we're leaving tomorrow. And I said, okay, come on, if you don't mind me drinking a beer while I drive the golf cart, then you can have one if you want. We just go to the refrigerator and get what you want. So they get on, we go on the golf cart, we drive around for about 45 minutes, and they're really nice and very smart. And I really enjoyed their company. And at the end of the tour, uh, he says to me, uh, I really want to make a donation, but I forgot my checkbook. Now, how many times have we heard that? You know, many, many times. I probably used it myself a couple of times. But anyway, he forgot his checkbook. So I said, no, no, that's really cool. He says, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make a donation. And I says, you'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. So I said, fine. So we go. And I don't think anything of it. And about three weeks later, just before Halloween, I get an email from, from him. And he says, my wife and I have a business in... Fargo, and we have a philanthropic arm, and I didn't forget, I'm going to make a donation, but I want you to know that we it's a one-time only donation, and we we, we, we hope that it'll be enough so you won't feel obligated to bother, you know, pretty much obligated to bother us, because as we all know, people that make uh, donations get hammered all the time, because they have to make up for the people who don't. <laughs> so I didn't, so anyway, he, he, he asked me to respect that and it would be what I, so now I'm thinking, well, maybe instead of sending 50 bucks, he'll send like 500 bucks, you know, or 250 bucks or something <laughs> more substantial than 50 bucks. So now the Monday after Thanksgiving, I go to the 
mailbox, and there's an envelope in there from Fargo, North Dakota. Now, parenthetically, I, at this point, I owe Woodford Feed $27,000. <laughs> I owe the Hay Guy $23,000. Now, I call them all the time and said, I'm, I'm not going to stiff you, I'm going to pay you. Well, and, uh, and they believed me, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. But, but anyway, I, we, were in a, we were in very precarious financial <laughs> straits. I was going to have to get back on the phone and hammer the other people who didn't mind me calling back and begging for money. But, uh, but I, I hate doing that, and I put it off until there are no other alternatives. So anyway, I get the envelope, and I say, oh, wow, this is that guy from North Dakota. I open it up, and there's a check inside. Now, you have to try and guess how much the check was for. Off the top of my head, yeah. I would probably say 100000 50000 $500,000. What? A half a million dollars. I thought it was a fake check. I looked at it and I go, so the other funny part is I bring it to the bank and they go, you have to deposit like $100,000 a day because if you deposit this all at once, they're going to think you're a drug dealer. <laughs> so really, that's what we did. And then I went around and I got a check for 27000 for Woodford Feed and I got a bottle of bourbon. 23000 to Highlander. Hey, Bottle of bourbon. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and we built paddocks over there because of this guy. Unbelievable. His name's John John Valentine, and he's one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. And he, we since been in touch and everything. And his company, I looked up his company. Uh, in they did an article on him in Forbes magazine, and said, and the article in Forbes magazine was published a couple of years ago. Said that if, if his company went public it'd be worth more than Microsoft in one day oh, so and, and it just started he and his buddy started it they both graduated went to graduate school in North Dakota State and they one was in pharmacies and one was in in chemistry and they decided they didn't want to spend their lives in white coats and cubicles and everything so they said what do people need and they started a business with a $2,500 loan from the bank and a $1,500 contract with the University of Puerto Rico to manufacture some raw DNA. And that's what they did. And now they're the largest producer of raw DNA in the world. That's crazy. How long ago has this been again? It's only been like a year and a half. Oh my gosh. That's, that's crazy. All wow. of a sudden we went from, you know, it's like, it's like being at the races and it's the last race and you're 0 for 8 and, <laughs> and you're praying Something's gonna happen. Give me a win, please. I just want to be able to buy one more beer. One, yeah, one more. One. But that's part of the, you know. I have to say, it's not sound business practice or any of that business, of course. But it does make it a lot more fun knowing that this whole thing's been a gamble from from the beginning. And if I wasn't a gambler, it never would never would have started it. I think it's funny. Um, This was two years ago. Uh, I I've never ever thought of doing wills, right? Mm-hmm. I always think, uh, you know, I'm whoever I'm married to, they're going to take all the money and they're going to take care of it. Um, but I had to do a will, and one of the things is that you know you have your life insurance stuff and all this, and you have your four hundred one ks, and you have all this, and the the attorney was like, well, you got like all of this money for your like your life insurance, where do you want it to go? Because you really don't need like the 401k and the, the stocks and all that. That's part of it to where you can shovel it off. Just take that and send it to somebody. And I remember sending an email to, to, to Sylvia and I yeah. go, I need your federal tax ID number. She goes, why? And I'm like, just, I just need it. And then she goes, well, why? And I said, okay, well, if I kick the bucket, you guys get my life insurance policies. <laughs> and she goes, oh, that's wonderful. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, don't think of it. As, don't worry about it. It's not very much. But just in case, it's there. Because I don't mind it going to you guys and not my not my nieces and nephews. So, I mean, I understand that. I mean, it, this is a labor of love. And I think most people that come to see this place, if they've never been here, it's a living museum. And the best part about this place is if you love animals, you fall in love with these horses. Mm-hmm. So what happens is like Alice falling down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's what happened because I only got involved with horses in the flesh and working for 
for Carlos back at Suffolk Downs all this many years ago because I thought it would help my handicapping. And then I fell in love with the horses and it changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite Carlos's stories uh, about that was he, they used to say at Suffolk when they're sending horses off to the slaughterhouse or off to the auctions and off to different bad places that couldn't walk anymore. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I, and I have some feelings about that too, because it's not, it's a terrible thing to do and nobody should do it. But some of these guys, it, it was like, am I going to pay the feed guy? Am I going to pay my help? Am I going to put food in my mouth? And then they never said, I'm going to take your horse to slaughter. They always said they were going to take him to a riding academy in Maine. That was the thing. Oh yeah. Where'd that horse go? Oh, he went to a riding academy in Maine, found a really good home for him. Great. So I'm going, wait a minute. I've been to Maine a bunch of times, and there must be ten thousand riding academies, and I've never seen one. You know, so, so anyway, the so there there was that with uh, with uh, with Carlos, but he had this mare that I was in love with, beautiful black mare, and she hurt her leg, and uh, I came in one day, and he goes, "Well, I, I think I found a good place for her in Maine." You know, I said, "Carlos, you can't send her to Maine. <laughs> you can't." She's really cool, and you know she's really nice, and she won some races for you when you really needed it. You can't send her to me. He says, "Well, I need the five hundred bucks." And he goes, "Well, I said, look, I'll tell you what. Just give me a couple of days. I'll figure something out, and you'll get more than five hundred bucks. I promise." So two days later, he comes back and he says, uh, "I said, where is she? Because I sold her for twenty five hundred. Well, great. So that means you know I'm not going to go to slide for twenty five hundred. So." Seven years later, seven years later, before we got this farm, we were over at Hersland Farm at Alfred Knuckles' place. I come in there and, and I'm talking, I'm chit-chatting with uh, the, his farm manager at the time, Tim Overton, and in comes Mike Barnett, who owns a farm down the road. And uh, he's all smiles and Tim says, well, why are you smiling? And he says, uh, I, just sold a, I just sold a mare. He says, how much you get? He goes, 1.2 million. I go, oh. I go, what's her name? And he goes, Satin Sunrise. And it was that. Wow. 1.2 million. She was going to go to a writing farm again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I find out that her first foal was Lionheart. Oh. Nice. And she, stakes winners after stakes winners after stakes. Yeah. And I am so, I'm, I can't believe it. So I couldn't wait to get on the... Hello, senor. <laughs> you know that $2,500 you got for Satin Sunrise? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. And he goes, you're lying, you're this, you're that. First thing you wouldn't remember. And then he says, you're lying. And I said, no, I'm not lying. This so now, a year and a half after that, Dr. Byers, the late Dr. Byers, who's our vet for so many years, what an amazing human being. Anyway, he, he used to let me go around with him to the different farms and you know, he introduced me to the horses and he had to go over and look at Uncle Mo over at Coolmore and he said, I need a, I need something. I forget what he needed. He says, in that barn over there. So I go in the barn and there's eight stalls in there and there are mares in there. Vertergeno, Rags to Riches, Satin Sunrise. Oh. It was unbelievable. It was, I got, I, I balked. I mean, I couldn't control it. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I said, we both came from the same place. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we're here today. It's pretty cool, huh? And she was just, it was just fabulous. So, so you, you talk about wanting to get better at it, being a handicapper and by being on the racetrack and then end up with this wonderful place. But for those that don't know, you used to be the entertainment reporter for uh, the Boston Globe. Yep. Mm-hmm. And how does being an entertainment reporter for the Boston Globe parlay into this huge place? Well, one of the things I knew from hanging around with celebrities is that people like to meet celebrities. I mean, it's terrible name dropping, but I used to go to basketball games with Jack Nicholson. And at the end of the games, people would swarm. The rule was with 20 seconds left to go in the game, you had to leave. Now, and he says, and get behind me and don't stop. Do not stop. Because that's what happens. It's like, it's like Moses and, you know, in the Red Sea. He, you, know, it's, you know, once he gets through, it's coming back. And it was, it was like being followed by this tsunami wave of fans. And 
there were other celebrities who happened to one degree or another, and I thought, well, you know, these horses are celebrities. And the horse park had already proven it, because the only reason I ever stepped foot in Kentucky in the first place was many years ago, I was coming back from Memphis after spending a weekend interviewing Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, Did you survive that? Yeah. <laughs> just, just barely. Just barely. And... Uh, and uh, I said, I'm going to go to, I'm going to stop in Kentucky. I'm going to stop at the horse park because Forgo and Bull Forbes were there. And I, and I never got too excited with, with some exceptions, obviously, but I never got too excited about meeting too many celebrities, human, but I was totally enthralled with these horses. And now, you know, what hair I had left was standing up on my head when I, when I got to see these two horses in person. I just thought this is a thrill. And it was always in the back of my mind uh, that, if you had a place where people, where visitors could come, that I can't be the only moron that reacts to them this way. I can't be the only super fan that goes goo goo and gaga over these racehorses. There has to be more people. I love all the super fans that come here. <laughs> they they make my tours. Yeah, to Andy a does team. tours here, so he knows from personal experience. I I and it's always the same question. We're so-and-so. We're so-and-so. And it's not just, we're Silver Charm. Where's, you know, Touch Gold. It's always the claimers <laughs> and the horses that, like, patch. Yeah, the one-eyed right, horse. Right? That don't, or especially Seabiscuit, right? Special, ri- or... Um, popcorn Delights. Popcorn Delights. Because they see the movie, right? And they're like, oh, we got to go see him. And it's just funny it's great it it just puts a smile on my face every time i I do a tour with people that are just so giddy about looking at horses this is this is last week the people from cbs morning sunday morning with jane paulie came to the farm and they were here for four days and with mo rocca and uh i love mo rocca he's He's hilarious yeah anyway so they're doing this whole thing and i think it's they're going to try and make it run the day, next Sunday, the day after the Derby, I hope. I hope uh, that it does. Well, I have a horse here named Summer Attraction that I claimed for thirty five hundred dollars twenty three years ago. And of all the horses we had here, I think that was the story that they were most attracted to. Was how can you have this horse here all this time? Well, he hasn't been here all this time. He went to a riding academy, a real riding academy, <laughs> a real one, not one of those phony ones. A real ride academy in Massachusetts, and he gave, you know, pretty much gave horsey rides to kids. And when he was done with that, we'd built this place up enough so we could have to take him here, and he's been here ever since. I claimed him on Mother's Day. So was he the first horse kind of that started old friends and started out, or? No. The first horse we ever got, we didn't have any place. We didn't have, it was just an idea, and uh, I got a call from uh, uh, Wendy Rice, who worked for Phasic Tipton. And uh, she said, "Are you? did you start that thing yet? I said, well, I'm not quite sure whether it started or not. <laughs> Maybe it has. I said, I don't know why. She goes, well, uh, we just had the John Franks dispersal sale, and uh, somebody brought in this mayor, and, and they left. She didn't get a bid, and they just left. Aww. And they left her there. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, we're specializing in stallions, and we're trying to bring stallions home from Japan. I said, I don't want to just do... Because the, t- the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation and the Acceler Fund and, and all these other groups have been doing such a good job with retraining and doing a good job with gelding and mares. I wanted to specialize in stallions that stayed in one place because it was different. I didn't want to just just replicate what somebody else is already doing a really good job with. So, so but she was a mayor, and I said, "What's her name?" And she goes, "Narrow Escape." <laughs> I go, "Okay, fine." <laughs> she was the perfect foundation mayor that we have for the farm. Her name is Narrow Escape. She was really cool. We had her for a long time. And she's buried over there next to next to uh, next to Bonnie's Poker Silver Charms Dam. Yeah, so, so she was the first one. So as Mike pointed to over there, if you've been <laughs> to Old Friends, they actually have a cemetery for all the old horses that have been here. Um, so they've got precisionists, they've got criminal type, they've got they've got them all. Yeah, marquetry um, and a yeah. lot. And tomorrow's the affirm success stakes, and we st- affirm success. He's not in the cemetery; he's still here, though. Mm-hmm. But he 
he's, I love that horse. I loved him when he was running. And I ran into Andy Byer a couple of years ago at Saratoga. And I said, Andy, I go, uh, I, got, I got a horse on my farm that had 42 starts and 38 triple-digit buyers. 38 out of 42 triple-digit buyers. He goes, no, you don't. No mm-hmm. horse ever did that. I said, Andy. So I get one of the old friends' magazines as the PPs. I said, sit down right here, and you're not moving until you count out every one of them. And he goes, oh, my God, it's true. <laughs> and he counted out every one of them. I said, 38 out of 42 triple-digit buyers. And Richie Schausberg had him. And I love Richie. He does a lot of work for aftercare in New York now, too. He's a really wonderful guy. So I said, geez, Andy, just think what he, what he could have achieved if he had a good trainer. <laughs> but he's got a great sense of humor, too. So, um, Have you ever met Andy Byer? I have not. Andy Byer is one of the most eccentric human beings you will ever meet. And I was lucky enough to meet him in Vegas one weekend. And it was at Caesars. And I walk in, and there's a bunch of handicappers, but they're all like, okay, you can't have this row, and you can't have that row. And I'm like, why not? There's empty spots. They're like, no, those are Andy's rows. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because watch. And Andy Byer would put every, would have racing forms out on every single part of partitions of every racetrack, right? And he would, and literally he would never sit down. He would just run back and forth looking at all the PPs and putting his buyers in for those races and then going and betting. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This man is an absolute, like, genius. Why is he just doing... And he's not focusing on one track. He's focusing on every track possible. And I'm like, I want to be him one day. Yeah, I'm like, there's nobody that's ever going to be like him. But it, that was he amazing. Exam- he went to Harvard and gave up his final <laughs> exams because he, because of the horse he wanted to bet at Suffolk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he ever graduated. Actually, no, I don't think so. Go ahead. He's older, isn't he? Oh yeah, I compared to say, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, was say, oh, I knew. That I know he's older, and I've heard a lot of funny stories that he's crazy. <laughs> well, he's not crazy. He's, he's very eccentric, and he's totally he's, dedicated to this. And, and he's he is probably one of the s- smartest hum- race tracker people that you'll ever meet. Yeah, that's saying a lot because there are a lot of smart people. I know he's got a really good book that a lot of people recommend that I need to read. Yeah, he and Tom Ainsley were the ones that did the whole starting. So that thinking about it, that's mm-hmm. the funniest part. You mentioned Tom Ainsley, right? So Bruno DiGiulio, who does racing with Bruno, when I first started being friends with Bruno, we went down to Del Mar one summer. He goes, "You're going to Bullies with us." And if people don't know who what Bullies is, Bullies is, was the local hangout where all the race trackers went, where who's who goes, right? Bullies East. And we're sitting there. He goes, "Well, we're having di- we're having lunch with Tom Ainsley." And I go, "Are you serious? Like Tom Ainsley?" I didn't say two words the entire time. It's only one of two times I've ever been like completely starstruck. That time and the time I met Buddy Hackett and Shecky Green at Hollywood Park, <laughs> because Marion Chase and Brandon Chase were friends with them. I was sitting at their I was sitting in their box. And I remember Shecky looking over to Brandon Marion going, is he mute? Is he mute? And I go, and I go, no, I'm not mute. He goes, well, why haven't you said anything for three races? I go, you don't understand. When I was growing up as a kid, my dad would play your, your records, your comedy stuff. Yeah. And I go, I watch Buddy and Herbie. I go, this is like a dream come true for me. I go, you guys are iconic. I go, I'm going to shut up now. And I didn't say a word the rest of the time because I didn't want to look stupid. <laughs> when I was working for when I was working for the Globe, in fact, in our new magazine, the one that just came out, there's an art, I wrote an article about how much the racing form affected my improved my career at the Globe. And uh, mostly the the best interviews I ever did had something to do with the races. John Houston was like my godfather out there. Whenever I wanted an interview with anybody, he'd make the call. And it all happened because I was a second-string movie critic when I first went to the Globe, and they sent me to every bad movie you could ever imagine. <laughs> I mean, The Hills Have Eyes and, and Ice Castles and all these goofy movies that nobody else wanted to see, but up I went. But, and I used to complain to my editor because I used to teach filmmaking. I came from an academic background. I was teaching a course on Bergman and Fellini, and they were sending me to see this garbage. So anyway, I complained all the time, but I, when I found out that John Huston had written his autobiography, 
and it was coming to Boston to promote it, I said, well, if you let me interview John Houston, I promise I won't complain for a year. You can send me to the ice capades. I don't care. So they said, okay, that'll be fine. We get this guy to shut up for a year. That'd be unbelievable. So those are the days before VHS, before all this stuff. So I went to the Boston Public Library and watched 60 millimeter prints of the African Queen and the Maltese Falcon and Treasure of the Sierra Madre and all these great John Houston movies. I was really prepared. And I said, I don't want to just sit in a hotel with them for an hour. I want to spend the whole day with them. So they said, okay, show up 7 o'clock Monday morning at the Ritz-Carlton. So at 7 o'clock Monday morning, I show up at the Ritz-Carlton. I call up to his room, and he answers the phone, and it's a familiar voice, yes. And I go, Mr. Houston, my name's Michael Blowen from the Boston Globe. I'm here to spend the day with you. And it's a long pause. He goes, well, Michael, I said, I don't see anything in here about that on my list. I'm going, oh, I said, but why don't you come up, I'll order up some coffee and some muffins, and we'll, uh, <coughs> and we'll see about it. So I go up there, and he answers the door, he's still in his yellow pajamas, and, uh, and he goes, uh, and he goes, well, here's the itinerary. So he hands me the itinerary, well, he goes in and gets changed. I look at it, and on the itinerary, it said I was supposed to show up Tuesday at 7 o'clock in the morning. Not Monday. <laughs> so now I want to do what the horses do, which is flee. Just, I, just, I just wanted to run out and forget about the whole thing. So he comes back out and he goes, oh. I said, well, I'm really sorry to bother you. I said, I'll leave. I said, no. He said, I got coffee and the muffins coming. And uh, he said, we'll sit down and, and we'll work this out. And I said, well, I said, you can't, you can't blame me for being enthusiastic about meeting you and doing this story because I'm really looking forward to it. Well, it's nice. And he looked down. I had a bag, you know, one of those giveaway bags from Suffolk Downs. And I had a racing form in there because I thought if I got done early, I'd go out to Suffolk and play the last couple of races. And he looks down and he goes, is that a racing form? I go, yes, sir. He goes, is there a racetrack here? <coughs> I said, yeah. He said, are they open? I said, yeah. Oh, we're, can, I, can we go? Yeah. So he called up his publisher and he rearranged his entire schedule and we went to the races for two days and when we were done he bought a book for me called Laughing in the Hills by Bill Barish which is still the best book about being involved in racing as a, as a fan and as a handicapper that I've ever read it's called Laughing in the Hills by Bill Barish and he wrote a, to Michael appropriately John Houston and that was the start of it and we became friends and he invited me to go to Mexico when he was making Under the Volcano and, and uh, Princey's Honor was just coming out with Jack Nicholson and his daughter, and, and uh, Jack was only going to do an interview with uh, the L.A. Times and the New York Times in one other place. So, you know, the Chicago papers, Washington, the Globe, we all put our names in a hat, and Jack didn't know anybody, and John pulled my name out and said, well, you can talk to this guy. I know he'll write what, what he writes down. He'll quote you accurately. That's what, that's what he said. And so it went, and it was supposed to be a half hour interview with Nicholson and it went on for four and a half hours because it was during the Celtics and the Lakers and we just hit it off and 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 we became friends and then that boom. So I mean it all happened because I had a racing form sticking out of a free bat. It ama- it always amazes me what what people will will do with a racing form, right? That's like people that you wouldn't even think are racing fans are like, hey, uh where are you going today again? <laughs> kind of deal. So, it's it's great. It's it and brings everybody. Together. All those celebrities, Jack Klugman and Tony Randall came to town on dated two weeks on the road with the Odd Couple, two weeks in Boston, and every day, I would pick up Jack Klugman after their morning run through, and about I pick him up around eleven thirty. We go to Suffolk, have lunch, and play a couple of races. And every day we went, Tony Randall was there, and he'd stick his pointy finger like he was a a third grade nun teaching school and he point that accusing finger at you he goes <laughs> every day you go now boys I know where you're going and that is not a good thing <laughs> <laughs> but I mean Jack I mean <clears throat> I, I know we're supposed to talk about old friends but this is great that we're talking about this stuff because you know I Caitlin's like in her early 20s right so um I don't even know if she knows who Jacqueline Klugman is. I know the horse. But yeah, that, that was go. Jack's that was Jack's baby, right? Yeah. That was that's that horse was Jacqueline Klugman's first horse in foray. His best horse ever was a Kinemod. Yeah. Um, 
who won the La Cunada Stakes and all that. But Jacqueline Clubman ran second in the Derby, didn't he? Yes. I think so, yeah. 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 Calbra, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but I mean, it's just it just it just amazes me. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of pivot a bit here because now that we are talking, it just reminded me. Uh, Caitlin was bringing up old friends Japan, so she's gonna ask you a question about that, um, and then we can pivot onto something else. I know, like that's something that they've kind of been wanting to do over there because I mean, you know, all the stuff that happened with Ferdinand, and you've rescued so many of the stallions from it. Well, not rescued, but they've yeah. came back here and had a place to go. So. Our repatriation campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so how did how did old old friends Japan really kind of get the ball rolling, and how did how was it affiliated with old friends? In Kentucky. Well, it's really wonderful that they're doing this. I mean, well, let's put the for us, you know, we probably won't be able to bring any more horses home from Japan because they'll have a place to go, and uh, and they're gonna and they're gonna set it up basically the way this place is, which is as a tourist operation and a, and a visitor place, and uh, <clears throat> it started a few years ago. The JBBA and the JRA have always been very supportive of us. They mm-hmm. come to they. Uh, you know, Mr. Oshida from Shaddai's Stallion, he comes and he used to come and see, you know, War Emblem and they came to see some Silver Charm and Charismatic when we when we had Charismatic and Ogaijin and, and Creator and all of them and you could tell that they were thinking about this, about doing it. And they started thinking about it years ago and then unlike me, which is, you know, let's just jump off the cliff together, uh, they're very methodical they were very methodical about it. I've got some wonderful pictures of the place, and in the midst of all this talking about it, they asked me, could they name it Old Friends Japan? And I was really flattered, and I said, well, yeah, you can, but you have to get accredited by the TAA. You have to get the approval of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, because, you know, if anything should happen to one of the horses, we want to make sure it goes to, you know, that everybody's accredited like, like we are. And it just reassures everybody that they're getting the best possible care. So once they agreed to that, and once they worked everything out with Stacy Clark and everybody at the TAA, it was uh, it was full speed ahead. And they've got a beautiful property. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's kind of a it's it's a it's a it's a decent farm now, but they're spending a lot of money building it up and making it really really nice. And it's very flattering to us. In fact, I asked them. They have a, their logo is ten times better than ours. It's ten times better. <laughs> I'm totally jealous. And I said, I said, I, I said, do you think I could use your logo? And so far, they haven't said yes because <laughs> <laughs> their logo's fabulous, and they're fabulous. And they, I think, they aim to open it a year, just about a year from now. Do they have any horses that they're already planning on getting, like any of the stallions, or kind of not yet? No, they haven't mentioned it to me. Okay. No, I don't really know, but I know there's a. There's a guy named Martin Thomas who's interesting. He's a, he's born in South Africa and he's Japanese. His name's Martin Thomas, and he run he's been running it and helping coordinate everything and raise the money and do all that. They're getting a lot of support from the JRA. They're getting a lot of support from JBBA. They're uh, getting uh, some support, a lot of support from the tourism organizations in Japan. So I think that's going to be great. And you th- I started thinking about, fantasizing about it, thinking, gee whiz, wouldn't it be great if they were all over the place? Oh, well, you know? I re- absolutely. I remember, I remember when, they, when this subject got broached, because I remember the smile on your face, because it was po- pre-COVID, it was two, maybe two years ago, somewhere, mm-hmm. and you go, Andy, you're never going to believe this. And I go, <laughs> what? He goes, they're talking to me about opening up Old Friends Japan. And I go... That's awesome. I don't know the logistics, but it, it may happen. And but you got to keep it quiet. I'm like, okay. And I put it in the back of my mind, and I completely forgot about it. And then Caitlin brings it up, and I'm like, I don't think it has anything to do with the same old friends. She's like, no, I think it does. They have the same logo. They have this. And I go, that's why Caitlin's gotten... so important to you, because she's always right. This is the important <laughs> Yeah, point. I was like, no, I know it has something to do with it. You're like, I haven't heard anything about that, so I don't think so. And I'm like, no, I swear, it's right here. Yeah, that's going to be. It's very, it's very exciting. They're having a, they're they're planning on a huge ceremony over there when. Are uh, you when going? The they want me to, but I get homesick. I, I, you know, it's funny how life is. It's, 
If somebody said to me, my friend Joe Volkin owns Anne's Washington Inn in Saratoga Springs. It's down on South Broadway and it's, you can walk, you, it's right next door to the park and SPAC. You can walk to SPAC, you can walk to the park, you can walk to the track, you can walk downtown. It's perfect, right? And he lets me live, stay in the basement for free, mm -hmm. okay? And it's beautiful. I mean, it's not like staying in my basement. It's like a nice basement. It's got beds <laughs> in it. It's not. So, uh, so uh, he lets me stay there. So now I get to go to Saratoga. I get to stay for free. Uh, people there at Saratoga treat me nice. We have old friends at Cabin Creek and Joanne and Mark Pepper and all the volunteers. They do such a fabulous job up there. And I go up there now, and people are so nice. And Nick Zito pays for dinner sometimes. And. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Zito and, could pay for dinner for years and, with and, all the derby. Uh, and Paul Braverman, one of our owners, he bought his dinner at Panzas. And uh, anyway, it's just really great. But after two days, I get homesick for Kentucky. Yeah. Here I am, an old time New Englander, and all that business. And I, I get up there for two days, and all of a sudden, I start thinking, I wonder how Silver Charm's doing. I wonder mm -hmm. how Touch Gold's doing. I wonder how Little Silver Charm's doing, or Summer Jack. I start to worry about the horses, and there's no reason to worry. It's totally irrational because this place can run itself without me, and it does because I don't do anything anymore. I just feed them carrots and walk around. Base when I walk around, that's right, that's right. I don't do anything anymore because because uh, Tim Wilson, our farm our former farm manager, has done such a great job of turning this place into a really, really well-run operation that never would have happened without him. And, and now the team that he left uh, works so well together that there are a lot fewer problems now, even though we have so many horses, than there ever were in the past. I think, I think, it's, an I think it's a tribute to everything, <coughs> how easily everything runs here. Um, from, you know, Sylvia and Barbara and Cindy in the front office and, you know, the people that are walking around here that you know, basically do everything. Um, and I don't like calling them grooms because they're not grooms because yeah. they, they do way more than what grooms do. Uh, but I think it's just fabulous. Now look at this book. See this book? Yeah, so Mike's showing me every a book day, with every horse. Every day, this is what happens. This is a daily medication record for every horse on the farm. Every horse on the farm. I, I guarantee you that most farms... Don't have it. Don't have it. This is page one thousand three hundred and forty-one. <laughs> no, I think we're up to one. We're up to one thousand four hundred and twenty-five. I think. I think the the one thing that I learned from working on a farm in California for Magnus Arabians uh, was, and Jerry Lambert taught me this, was to go to every single horse, always take their temperature and write it down in a notebook. And every horse at the farm had a notebook for every for every single horse that we had on the property. And if one little thing was off, boom, vet, vet would be called. Or yeah. boom, this horse needs to be out more. Or this, needs, this horse needs to go out. And I think it's so important to keep records of all that stuff. And I wish more people would do it on the racetrack. And I think most people do, but... Yeah. So I have I have a request because I don't I don't know if Caitlin's ever heard this story or not. I know probably maybe maybe fifty percent of the people have heard this story. I'm gonna guess. Can you please let everyone know the who the mayor of Midway is? That's about two foot three and hairy. But not a mayor stallion. But anyway. Uh, little Silver Charm. Yeah. So Little Silver Charm is my little horse. I got him off the slaughter truck up at Rockingham Park. Well, Loretta Lindemann, who actually actually physically got him off and, and, and got him, she paid $40 for him and two ducks and a goat. And put the, she adopted the goat with a thoroughbred that she was training. She Now she's assistant trainer to Brad Cox up in New York. Anyway, she... Um, the, the two ducks got left on the pond at Rockingham. The goat got it out to our thoroughbred, and then when we moved here, we got Little Silver Charm. And we first we lived in Midway, so we lived in our yard. And he made our yard into a desert. I mean, it was completely, he ate everything. There was a few weeds, and I was expecting a cactus to grow any day, because that's all it was with sand. And, and uh, 
he used to get mad because he didn't have enough grass. And when the guy next door mowed, he had a stockade fence there, and he'd knock on his silver charm, bang on the stockade fence with his hook until the guy threw some clippings over. <laughs> but one of our neighbors, not our immediate neighbor, but a few blocks down, complained one day that we had this little horse in the yard, and the cops came with a summons and said, you have two weeks to get rid of the horse. Get him out of the yard. So I said, what? I said, I don't get a complaint. It can't be anybody on our street because the kids come by and play with them all the time. The parents mm -hmm. like them. I walk them. We, on Halloween, we went around dressed up. I dressed up as a human. He dressed up as a horse. We got candy. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So he was a big treat for the neighborhood and for the town. I used to take him into town. I'd walk him into town and we'd go to the bar. There'd be like three people in the bar and then they'd find out the little horse was there and they'd, there'd be 70 people in the bar. So I never had to pay for the beer. He had a little oaky Chardonnay. He never had to pay for that. So anyway, they're trying to get rid of him and this is the cool part because when Penny Chenery lived in, of course, the owner of Secretary, she, um, when she lived in uh, in Lexington, we, were, we would get together about once a month and have dinner and talk and stuff. We really got along great and I had Dory, of course, who wouldn't. And, uh, I called her up, I said, hey, Penny, I said, they're trying to get rid of my horse out in the yard, we gotta do something. She goes, okay, here's what we're gonna do. So we, we got a petition up, and Penny and I went door to door. Now, you gotta imagine, I got the little horse, I got Penny and me, and they're knocking on the door. And half the town knew who Penny was, of course. And, uh, and so we got, I think it was, it was like 600 and something signatures on the petition to keep Silver Charm in the yard. And, and, uh, that's more than voted for mayor on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> and Penny had a good time. The TV stations covered it. And when they finally, it finally came up for a vote in, uh, in, uh, in Woodford County, I got a call from the guy. He said, I don't think you really have to worry. I can't say anything about it. I don't think you have to worry. I think they're probably going to rule, rule in your favor, but you have to promise me one thing. Please, please, please don't bring that horse to the courthouse. <laughs> so I didn't, and and we and, and we we won our battle. So I subsequently found out who the guy was that complained, and the reason he complained is they wouldn't let him have chickens in his yard. And he said, you know, he thought, well, if I can't have chickens in my yard, I'm not going to have that guy, that Yankee uh, invader, have a little horse in his yard. What's the deal? So I guarantee the chickens are more dirty than little little silver charms. They make more so. noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have in Houston. We have a. We have a house across the way from us, like there's a park in between, but that has chickens. And the rooster, the rooster goes nuts at like four in the morning and you can hear them. And I feel bad for the neighbors next door. Maybe they have earplugs, but I just laugh because I'm like, I'm used to it, right? I'm, I, I've been on the racetrack, you know? Jimmy Barnes told me when I wanted to start working on the racetrack, show up at Charlie's Barn at 4 o'clock in the morning and I'll give you a job. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I still remember him saying, I didn't think you were going to show up. I'm like, I want to be here. I want to work here. Um, that's the way but, it was with Carlos. That's why. That's when I started with Carlos. It was the same thing. Yeah. How, but, how old is little Silver Charm now? I know... I think he's in his mid-30s. I know he's pretty old. Yeah. He's older than you. Older than me. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. some horses here that are older than you. <laughs> yeah. Quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a few. You and I just turned 29. <laughs> alphabet soup is 30. Yeah. I love you and I, although I got a great story about you and I. Um, I was doing a private tour. This guy, this, they came from Wisconsin. And it was a woman. And it wasn't even a private tour. It was a regular tour. But they were the only two here because it was really stormy. And they, the wife loved horses and she just wanted to be around them so we're like going through the, the stalls and everything and we get through the pet we get through the new barn and we're heading this way and i look at the guy and he's got like puffed up eyes and i'm like what the I'm like are you okay he's like oh i'm allergic to horses i'm like wow. what are you doing here he goes oh my wife loves horses so i'm doing this for her and i'm like okay fine I'm like as long as you just don't go into anaphylactic shock Nothing like that. So we go over to Genuine Reward because he was still here at the time before he passed away. And you and I was across from him. And I forgot you and I's 
reputation of one minute he's far, far away, and the next minute he's, like, on top of you. <laughs> and that poor dude, he got bit four times in his back by, this, by the horse. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, by the way, that horse likes to bite, but it really shouldn't hurt you because he's pretty much nothing but gum. He goes, well, he got me with the teeth. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so this guy's got... His face looks like he just got beat up by Mike Tyson. His back now has like four marks from you and I. And when he gets done, he hands me a $50 bill and says, thank you for the tour. It was incredible. And I'm like, I'm like, what tour were you on? Because that wasn't the same one. And I remember going, oh, this is going to the donation box because that, that was just typical of how this farm works where... People just are like, as long as one person is happy, I'm okay. <laughs> right? So I always remember that guy. Now I know better with you and I where I just call him a little shark because one minute you see him, next minute he disappears, and then he's right on top of you. You know, the moral of the story is that when you fall in love, sometimes that's not a good thing. <laughs> no. Yes. His wife's in love with horses. He's in love with his wife. And now he's, he got bit. He's going to die. His face is fucked up. He got bit. So we're taking up a lot of your time, and I've actually got a tour in like an hour and a half, but Caitlin plays this game with everybody at the end of the deal, uh, at the end of our deal that's probably harder to do than um, the interview itself. Uh, and to be honest with you, every time she asks, I, I don't know how people answer it, uh, but I'm going to let her do this part. Okay. So... If you were owning horses that were still on the track, like race horses that you're racing yourself, um, where would be the number one track anywhere in the world that you would want to win a race? At Saratoga. Okay. Without question. <laughs> I feel like that's been one of the most popular answers for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Although Blackjack Fletcher said Sam Houston Race Park. Yeah. <laughs> it could be anywhere, I guess. We've had a couple Royal Ascots mostly. Well, sure, I can understand it. You know, it, it, there's certain points in my life, you know, when I was desperate for summer attraction to win a race, I would have said Suffolk Downs or Rocky mm -hmm. Park or the Great Barrington Fair. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, Frank Miramati, you asked me about this. Frank Miramati called the race when the first race horse I ever owned won a race. And he was fabulous. He said, put your hands together. We named our, our racing stable J.J. Giddis Racing after the character that Jack Nicholson plays in Chinatown. Because in Chinatown, the whole theme is he doesn't know what's going on. And I thought, wait, that's what we should do. We don't know what's going on. Let's name him J.J. Giddis. But he, he, he called it. And if you ask him to this day, what's the greatest photo finish he's ever seen in his life? It was between my racehorse, Kino Quick. That was the name. It was not Quick. Anyway, and... Uh, and, and Bill Likas, who now he has his own radio show yeah. and stuff like that. Well, Bill Likas was a local DJ in Great Barrington. And he ran against Keno Quick. Keno Quick ran two furlongs. Bill Likas ran one furlong. And honest to God, they get down to the track. And, the, and, the, and Bill Likas had to leap into the air to win the race, and he won it by a quarter of an inch. <laughs> And to this day, Frank Miramati says it's the greatest photo finish I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Bill Likas and Keenan. It amazes, it, you know, getting back to, and I don't know if Caitlin knows who Bill Likas is, but I know I'm thinking of Tom Likas. I'm thinking of uh, somebody completely different. <laughs> Bill, <laughs> never mind. Bill, never mind. <laughs> Bill, Bill has his own, you know, he's a commentator now on ESPN Radio or something. But anyway, it was. Yeah, it was Tom, Tom Likas is, uh, is a little different, yeah. Different, different people. Go ahead. Okay, so if you could use any jockey, who would you use? Uh, who's currently? Anyone. Oh, anybody. anybody. I would use Joel Rosario. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know how many people say that? Everybody. Every single person. <laughs> really? Well, I say it for a number of reasons. One is he reminds me of Ramon Dominguez because Ramon could do anything. I mean, you know, come from behind, speed, whatever he did. And Ramon... Ramon's one of those guys who figured out what the horse wanted to do and just helped him. Ramon, Ramon cracks me up because... He's one of my favorite people. Uh, during COVID, during COVID, I sent money to the chaplaincy in New York. Nice. Uh, because, he, because, you know, he was asking for donations. So I sent him some. And he... 
he said he always sends me like this personal note going hey guess what i need more <laughs> i'm like <laughs> i'm like ramon i'll send you more at the end of the year <clears throat> i'll do it but he's he's such a great guy when joel won uh the breeders cup on nick's go he was wearing old friends on his pants and old friends <laughs> on his mask i mean and then when he got done with the pants, he signed them and sent them to us so we could auction them off. Wow. Nice. And I got to go in the winner's circle for Nick's go. I'm, I'm down way at the end next to the other people. But, but if you look really hard, you look for the old person, you'll, you'll see that. <laughs> and I'm in that, I'm in that win picture because of Joel and because of Ron Anderson. And, Ron. Mm-hmm. I've known Ron. For sure. Ron's I knew, the best. I, I've known Ron since 1991. When he was Gary Stevens' agent in Santa Anita in Hollywood Park. That's a long time ago. We gave a party for, well, um, a, a big, a, we had an event up at Saratoga to pay tribute to Bobby Franco after Bobby died in, at the old friend's farm. And, and Ron Anderson, Angel Cordero, a whole bunch of people came, but that's when I got to talk to Ron for a period of time and I realized that he was. They should have that in the racing form. Who's the agent? Uh-huh. Because, you know, Ron Anderson had Jerry Bailey when Jerry Bailey got on Cigar. I mean, he just had, he just know how, he knows how to do things and he works really, really hard. And Joel's great. Oh, oh I think that's my tour. Go ahead. Okay. What about trainers? Oh, trainers. They could be dead too. That's harder. <laughs> that's harder. Well, that's much harder because I there's so many of them that, that I like. You know, and, and it's all it's all based on really how they treat old friends. And you know, Bob Baffert's been here a lot, and he's been really really helpful. And he and Joe donate a lot of money and a lot of time. And and he actually comes here. One day, uh, I was in the kitchen looking out the window, and. Uh, I saw uh, this guy over there, it was Silver Charm. I said, geez, I think that's Baffin. I mean, there's nobody here. Just came, he had some time and just came to see him. And and so I'm very, I'm very partial to, uh, I'm very, very partial to Bob. But, you know, uh, Nick Zito comes all the time to see his horses. And gee whiz, we have the, we have the great Nick Zito collection here with, you know, commentators in New York. We just got Bellamy Road. You know, we've got Sun King and and Birdstone. <laughs> Albert the Great. Albert the Great. Yeah. This is the Nick Zito Museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said Nick. I, you know what? I'm, I said joke next time. I'm going to put his name on a stall plate, and I'm going to put it up in a stall. And then the next time he comes, he goes, oh, "This is ready for you. <laughs> Fluff up your hay." <laughs> <laughs> Give him his own stall. And Brad Cox has been great to us with Green Mask, and you know it's just uh, Leroy Jolly used to come here all the time. Nick, you know Wayne Lucas came. Uh, the, he, you know we got charismatic home from from Japan. He came late on a on a Friday night, and and, and Wayne Wayne was here at seven o'clock the next morning. Wow! To see, make sure to see him and tell me how good he looked, and he Man. did look great. And, you know so. You know, it's it's tough, but it's I think Bob because you know he you know he tells great stories about Warren Bloom and and uh, Still he gave me my great, great the greatest quote we've ever had. I put it on the front of the barn. It says, "Give money to old friends. It's not a scam." <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Bob that I've one, ever heard. <laughs> oh no, Bob! As as much as much of the the negative connotations of Bob, if you get to know Bob, Bob is like. One of the funniest human beings in the he world. Is. He is. And before, really nice. before he made it huge, I always, I always love, I always love the fact that you could be talking to Bob and he goes, "Hey, buddy, hey, bud, hey, buddy." That, that's his <laughs> deal, right? He goes by, he goes, "Hey, buddy." He, he knows your name. He knows, he knows what you do, but it's always buddy, buddy this, <laughs> buddy that. It's never, hey, Michael. It's always, hey, buddy. But um, when he was here one time. When he first came back, he hadn't seen Silver Charm in 11 years. And he came with Bodie and Joe and his brother and, um, and some other members of the stand. He's brought, all his kids have been here. And he, he, he's been great. So, but anyway, we're looking at Silver Charm. And he goes, Bodie, come here. And 
I don't know, Bodie was probably nine years old at the time, and because Bodie was his son. Uh, so I want you to take a good look at the source silver charm. You weren't born when he won, did all these great things, won the Derby, won the Preakness, won the Dubai World Cup, won all this. And uh, he said, but I gotta tell you two things. One, if it wasn't for this horse, I'd be chasing horses around the desert of Arizona. And two, you wouldn't have so much junk in your room. <laughs> yeah, he's been uh, bothering, bothering Ray. Bobby Franco, you know, Bobby Franco left us money. He left us 95% of his trophies. Wow. Um, there's some great people in racing. It, it, this is the whole thing. I mean, I tell people when they come on a tour sometimes, I go, racing must, I went from throwing away Sports Illustrated, had a horse on the cover, because I thought it was stupid to think of them as athletes, uh, to knowing that they're superior to their human uh, counterparts. And I tell people all the time, racing must be the greatest sport of all time because it survives itself. You know, it's like, how many ways can you screw it up? Oh, we and do it, it all the time. it still survives, and it's because of the horses. Yeah. It's because people love the animals. And, and can you imagine if we ran things just a little bit better that all these sponsors would be climbing all over themselves to get their names associated with uh, with uh, essential quality. And especially with the, especially how smart 99% of these horses are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Except Tappets. But we'll get into Tappets. Final question. Favorite, and this one, this one I already know the answer to, but go ahead and ask it. I don't know what my final question is. Horse? If you could own any horse ever? Oh, if you could Favorite own horse? Any I horse own, ever. I own already. Let's see. Not Where's... Silver Charm. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I adore him. He, I adore him. I do anything he wants. I adore him. I, you know, the other one I really liked a lot that I really got to like at the end in, was War of him. I really... <sighs> My proudest accomplishment. Of I, and he let me go out there and put a halter on him. And that was the greatest. <laughs> that was the greatest. I always say when 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 I heard that War Emblem passed away, I literally cried. Yeah. I mean, next was, next yeah. to Jerry passing away, I was crying with War Emblem because the things he allowed me to do when I knew that he was as mean and ornery and yeah. the fact that I could turn my back to him and be able to tell his story and him not trying to pick me up and throw me across the, the ring was an accomplishment because everybody always said, no, you can't, you can't do that. You're not supposed to, you're, you can't. But once you get to develop a trust with the horses, mm-hmm. they'll do anything. And you can see that. And if you ever come to the farm, which we hopefully everybody can, um, you should go over to, to, you should go over, and if you run into Michael, have him do the whole silver charm deal because it's the greatest thing in the world. And with that, we'd like to thank you. We appreciate well, the fact that you just spent an hour with us, just talking and enjoying everything. And I'm glad it's that been fun. It's warm in here. I know. Yes. And I got a tour at two o'clock, and I'm like, please get up to sixty-eight degrees so it doesn't feel like I'm yeah, freezing. I don't think you're gonna get there. I know, but. Um, you know, the other thing is, is that I'm really happy with the fact that beginning at the end of this podcast, uh, in a, you know, we'll, we'll have a little break, but, um, we're going to start, I mean, we have over 300 and some odd horses on this farm and we're going to try to break down every single horse after every podcast. Not like every day, but we're going to spotlight one every day. And that includes the females. Because there are some females here. Oh. oh, we have a great paddock, new paddock. Alan J. Foxwoods. Oh, yes. Got the full sister to Goldacova and so, Mystery Trip, the last little be, from Weekend Surprise. Me and yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. Nice so, um, but we thank you for, for allowing us this time, and I'm glad you were number 20 as far <laughs> as the episodes are concerned with interviews. And it's so easy to talk to you and I'm so glad that you and I have been friends for the last <laughs> Long eight time. years, yeah, <laughs> nine years. So thank you. Well, we appreciate it. Well, thanks for inviting me. This has really been nice. Yay. Uh, you've been listening to the Goat Zoo Room. Stay tuned for the uh, first Old Friends Spotlight 
which we have no idea who it's going to be because we haven't discussed it, but we'll figure it out. Have a good week. G-O-A-T handicapping listeners, I am super excited to present our very first Old Friends Spotlight. Old Friends is a cause that is very near and dear to both mine and Andy's hearts, and we're really excited to be doing a spotlight at the end of every show every week about some of their more lesser-known residents that aren't usually available on tours, that don't have a lot of information available out on them, so we really want to spotlight them and kind of give you some background information. So the first one I'm going to be doing is a horse that if you were a racing fan in the early 2000s, you probably will be familiar with. He ran second in the Preakness, fourth in the Belmont, as well as a second in the Haskell Invitational. It's Magic Wisner from Maryland. Popular Maryland bred, um, won the Deputed Testimony Stakes and the Ohio Derby before running second in the Preakness to fellow old friends retiree, the late War Emblem. He raced once at four and actually contracted West Nile virus at two. Not many people know that he was sick with West Nile and then made a successful comeback to the racetrack before retiring for good in 2005. He was never off the board at two and three, and he was retired at a farm in Pennsylvania for a while at his owner's discretion. And he had a companion with him. Her name is Boza 10. She's just a year older than Magic Wisner, and they fell in love. They are the best of friends. And when Michael Blown got the call to take Magic Wisner in last fall, they said one condition, he has to come with his wife, Bo. So Bo is retired with him. They're actually at a secondary farm in Kentucky. They're not at the main old friends campus. They're at a little secondary farm that's close to a retirement home. So the residents can walk out and spend time with the horses and kind of get a little bit of equine therapy. So Magic Wisner and Bozatin are retired to the secondary location at Old Friends Kentucky. And I cannot wait to maybe be able to go and see them and check them out. And I hope you can also.